Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next 30 minutes, I'd like to invite you to stay tuned. 30 minutes of motivation, inspiration, a little bit of education, but never any manipulation. By that I mean we don't have hidden agendas because we are not trying to sell you anything. And we don't have anything for you to join. We're not trying to get you to fess it up, give it up, anything like that. This show is simply about accurate information. Information that will help you verify and identify God's plan for your life. If you can do that, if you can verify and identify God's plan for your life, then you also have the freedom, the privacy to orient and adjust to the plan. It's up to you. Your life is made up of a lot of different decisions, and every decision has consequences. And remember what we say on this show quite often, bad decisions limit future options. We even have a decal that says that. Bad decisions limit future options. If you make enough bad decisions, obviously, you don't have very many options left in your life. And so this show, The Flot Line, is going to be about how you can make some good decisions, how you can orient and adjust to the Word of God, and how you can learn God's fabulous plan for your life. I know you hear a lot of radio preachers. You hear a lot of people on the air that talk about the Bible and, and presume to represent God to you. I think that's the scariest thing any person could do, to presume to speak for God. When you do that, you're taking an awful lot of responsibility. I know a lot of you that may hear me today are on your way to your church right now. You're going to hear your very own pastor. Or maybe you're not able to go to church and you're stuck at home and and you're listening. But for whatever reason, you are listening to this radio show. I hope you will notice a couple of things right away. Number one, we are not trying to lay a guilt trip on you, and we're not trying to recruit you. We're not trying to solicit anything from you. But we are trying to give you accurate information. Accurate information from the Bible, so that you can learn God's plan for your life. When I first became a Christian, and and again, if this is your first time to listen, my name is Rick Hughes. I am the host of this show, and this is a, a show that's been on the air now going on six years. But when I first became a Christian, it was a few years ago in Birmingham, Alabama. And there I met Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior while I was on a date with a young lady who took me to a Bible study. And after that Bible study, a a fellow there who I met told me how I could become a Christian, how I could have my life transformed and changed, read a verse to me that says, If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and all things become new. And I had the opportunity that night to begin my life all over again, even at the age of 22. What a wonderful thrill it was to know that all the failures, all the frustrations that I'd been through up to the age of 22, that that could be wiped away and I could have a new life in Christ. And it was with joy that I accepted that new life in Christ. And it's not that I'm a perfect person. I've made thousands of mistakes. But I know that if I die, I'm going to heaven I know I have believed and trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and perhaps even you as well. But the difference is this. 
that a lot of times people never take time to learn the mechanics to the Christian life. And if there's anything this show has been majored on, it's the mechanics to the Christian life. A lot of people go to church. A lot of people worship God in different churches, different denominations. And a lot of people do a lot of different things. And everybody wonders, why don't they do it like we do it? And sometimes it's confusing, especially to those on the outside looking in, when you have this denomination and that denomination and why those denominations are different and why they do different things. And they claim they got it right and everybody else claims they've got it right. How do you know for sure what's right and what's wrong? How do you know that? Or do you, is it just a pig and a poke? Do you just hope you're doing the right thing and, and hope maybe that you're going to go to heaven someday, maybe, hopefully? Well, you don't have to hope. I can tell you this. The Bible says these things are written so that you may know that you have eternal life. He that has the Son has life, and he that has not the Son of God has not life. Now, that's the first hope that we are confident of. We can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have eternal life because the Bible says so. Those verses I quoted to you came out of 1 John 5, 11 through 15. You can know it. And how do you get Christ? How do you get Jesus Christ? Well, the Bible says, whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3 of the Bible in the New Testament that he needed to be born again. And Nicodemus, being an educated Pharisee, was a bit taken back by that because he had never heard that term before. He didn't understand the theological term we call that being regeneration. He thought Jesus was talking about going into his mother's womb and being born again. And our Lord explained that it's not that, that it's a spiritual birth. Many people don't understand that. Let me try to make it clear to you. When we are born physically, when we come into this world, even though we may be a precious, beautiful little baby and our parents love us dearly and they take all kinds of pictures, we are, in fact, spiritually dead. We're physically alive, but we're spiritually dead. Now, does that mean that if a baby dies that he would not go to heaven? It does not mean that. Any baby that dies goes to heaven. It's always the case. They're always under the grace of God. We have to grow to where we are able to make a decision on our own. Some people call it the age of accountability. Some people call it different things. And whatever that age is, I don't know. But I can tell you this, that when we're first born, we're born physically alive but spiritually dead. And when Nicodemus came to Jesus that night, He was even an older man, perhaps 50 years old, but spiritually dead. He observed the law. He was a keeper of the law. He fulfilled all the rituals of the law, the purification rituals, all of the Mosaic code, but he was spiritually dead. It goes to tell you this, that you can be religious and be spiritually dead. The Bible says, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Do you know that? Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, did I not prophesy in thy name? And in thy name, did I not cast out devils? And he said, I'll tell them, I never knew you. Religion is not how we are born again. 
We don't build equity with God because we're nice religious people. We don't build equity with God because we observe communion or because we tithe or because we're consistent in our church attendance. That does not get us saved. Those are things that saved people may do, but that's not how you become a saved person. In order to become a regenerated person, a person who's born again, it comes through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. That's why the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and it's a gift of God and not of works, lest anyone should brag about it. So when we're born spiritually dead, we are physically alive. And that spiritually dead part of us is called the human spirit. Spiritually dead in our human spirit. Why are we born spiritually dead? Because we're related to Adam. And the Bible says, for by one man sin came into the world, and death by sin, and now death has passed on all, for all have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. We are born spiritually dead. But somewhere down the line, maybe at the age of six, maybe at the age of eight, maybe at the age of ten, maybe twelve, we understand who Jesus Christ is. We understand that he is the anointed son of God. And we understand this, that he went to the cross and he paid for our sins. He died for us. The Bible clearly says he that knew no sin was made sin for us so that we may be made the righteousness of God through him. When a person understands that, then he's capable of being saved, of being regenerated, of being born again. So how does it happen? Jesus said these words, This is the will of the one that sent me, that you believe in me whom he have sent. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 1 John 5, 1, he that believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And the Bible says, he that believeth not, the wrath of God abides on him already. So the issue in being saved or being born again or being regenerated is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's called faith. It's putting your faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And we express that faith to God in prayer. We can simply go to God, and again, the Bible says, whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So a lot of times you will hear people talk about a sinner's prayer. And you can go to your Heavenly Father, and you can say, I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. But I am willing to receive your Son as my Savior. When you actively, in your own volition, in your own chooser, your own decider, in your own soul, when you say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and I want to receive him as my Savior, that's what salvation is. That's how simple it is. You don't have to go forward. You don't have to go backwards. You don't have to go anywhere. You can do it in a car, in a bathtub, on a couch, in the bed. You can do it anywhere. You can simply pray 
and you can tell God you are believing in Jesus Christ and you would receive him as your Savior. Would you feel that? Is it some kind of feeling? And the answer is no. You don't feel it. It's fact and it's faith. The feelings may come later in the form of appreciation. But it's fact. God said it. It's faith. You believe it. And the feelings come later when you understand what happened. When I believed in Jesus Christ, I heard the information. It was presented to me clearly. And I prayed a simple prayer and I told God I believed it and I was willing to accept Christ as my Savior. And I didn't feel it. I didn't feel anything. But when I went back and and when I began to read the Bible I was given, all of a sudden the Bible came alive. It was as if I was reading it through eyes I never had before. I didn't realize what was happening, but God the Holy Spirit who had come to live inside of me was beginning to help me see the Bible from a different perspective. He made it come alive in me. See, when we believe in Jesus Christ and receive him as our Savior, since Jesus is not here on this earth right now, he said, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send my spirit and he will abide with you. So when we receive Christ as Savior, even though Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, it's the Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of us. Yes, the anointed Spirit of God will come and live inside of you. Now, this is a phenomenal power in your life. There's nothing on this earth that can give you this sort of power. That's why the spiritual life is the most unique life in the history of the world. When you have God the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and you have the living Word of God, the Bible, the the Bible, It says it's alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. So when you have the Bible and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, these are two power options in your life that are unfathomable. You just cannot believe the power behind that. And so now you have the privilege to live this awesome life because you've trusted Jesus Christ to forgive your sin. The Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you. And you take the Bible and you begin to learn God's plan. It's that simple. It's amazing how simple it is. And yet it's amazing how powerful the Christian life can be. You begin to recognize sin. That's the first thing that happens. You know, there's nothing like taking control of your own life and not being a slave. Before we receive Christ, we're often a slave a slave to our environment and a slave to the sins that manipulate us and control us. And then all of a sudden, we find that there's freedom in Christ. And so we begin to recognize sin. We learn about sin being sins of the tongue, things that we say, or overt sins, sins that we do, or even mental attitude sins, sins that we think. Maybe no one ever told you that you could Sit in your chair and never move and sin. But you can, because hatred is a sin. Jealousy is a sin. Bitterness is a sin. Fear is a sin. Worry is a sin. And these are all things you do in your mind. And then the overt sins, no one needs to tell you about that. You're aware of the drunkenness and the fornication and the stealing and the murder. You know about those things. But the sins of the tongue, those are the subtle ones. Those are the times when you gossip about another person or 
or criticize and malign another person, when you bring another person's name up to someone else in, in a less than favorable way, I bet you've had people say, you know, oh, so-and-so, what do you think about him? And you take that as an opportunity to tell them what you think about him. And the Bible is very clear that we should never do that. We are not allowed to judge anyone because with the measure we measure, it will be measured back to us again. So when we learn about sin, we learn that we're not to malign and criticize other people, even though we may not like them. We're to stay out of overt sinning and especially avoid the mental attitude sins that easily manipulate us, take us into depression, take us into frustration, sins that can destroy us, get us to make decisions that we don't need to make. That was the first thing I had to learn, is I had to learn how to control sin. Obviously, even though I was a Christian, I still sinned. And I worried about that. I mean, I I know I just sinned. What should I do? And then I learned the wonderful problem-solving device called Rebound or 1 John 1.9. And here the Bible says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to purify us from all of our wrongdoing. As a Christian, you and I sin. We sin often and frequently. And when we know we've sinned, it does not mean we're not a Christian anymore. It means that we are a Christian out of fellowship with God. What happens technically when you sin is you quench the Holy Spirit, according to the Bible, and you grieve him. And the Bible says if we'll go to the Father and we will admit our sin, then he will be faithful and just to forgive us. And you know, you may have to do this eight or ten times a day. Hopefully not. Hopefully you can only find yourself slipping and falling a couple of times a day. But who knows what your personality or what your character is like. Some people are real strong morally. Some are not. Some people have different trends and different patterns. But whatever happens when you sin, that doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It means you failed and you've quenched and grieved the Holy Spirit. And so then you go to 1 John 1, 9 and you admit your sin to God. And the Bible says he's faithful and he's just to forgive you. Technically, what that means is this, that when you sin, the Holy Spirit is shut out and you're letting your old sin nature take control again, just as if you weren't even saved. But when you go to God and admit your sin and confess it to God, then you are subduing the sin nature and you're letting the Holy Spirit again resume control of your life. That's why the Bible says if we'll walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And that's why the Bible gives us the mandate in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. It's not something weird. It's not something abnormal. It's not even something that you would feel. There are people that produce whole denominations on this concept of being a Spirit-filled Christian, and they'll tell you certain things that that you've got to do to indicate that you are a spirit-filled Christian. That is not true. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Sealed with the Spirit until the day of redemption. And you are filled with the Spirit whenever you confess known sin to God. You know, actually, the Bible says there are a lot of different ministries of the Holy Spirit 
the sealing of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit, the regeneration the Spirit does, the giving of spiritual gifts. These are all ministries of God the Holy Spirit. If we don't understand what we're doing, then how can we do it right? That's what I try to do on this radio show is let you see the mechanics of how the Christian life operates. Not just quote a few simple cliches such as turn it over to Jesus, brother, or let God have it all, brother. I mean, come on, what does that stuff mean? And when you go to rededicate your life, how many times do you have to rededicate before you get it right? Have you rededicated your life so many times the rededicators wore off by now? See, when you understand what the Christian life is about and how it works, then you understand the security that you have in Christ. Let's just take the love of God. Do you know that God loves you? And you say, yes, I know that. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world. Well, do you think there's anything you can do to make God love you more than he loves you already? See, here's where people get all messed up. They think if they're good, that God loves them a lot. And if they're bad, that God's not happy with them. And he doesn't love them very much. Listen, there's nothing you can do to affect the love of God. God loves you as much today as he loved you last year. His love does not waver. His love is not manipulated. His love is not emotional. God doesn't feel sorry for you and and cut you slack sometimes. He treats us all the same way. That's where you get into big trouble when you think that you're going to appeal to God to cut you some slack. He doesn't do it. God has set up the rules and the regulations. And when we violate those rules and regulations, we don't get cut slack. You have to understand the justice of God and the righteousness of God and the love of God. And basically, I can tell you this. God loves you. Yes, God is absolutely righteous. He's perfect righteousness. Yes, and he's perfect justice. So the justice of God acts as the guardian to the righteousness of God. And what the righteousness of God rejects, then the justice of God is forced to judge. Now God, in his righteousness, rejects our sin. And his justice judges our sin. But remember what the Bible said, he that knew no sin was made sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God through him. Remember that? So how was the righteousness of God satisfied in relationship to you and your sin? Through the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And your righteousness is coming from him. You have the equivalent righteousness of God through your faith in Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean you're not going to sin. It doesn't mean you're not going to fail. But it does mean this, that whether you sin or whether you don't sin, you're going to go to heaven. You have eternal life. That's clear. Because you have been born again and brought into the family of God, and you're not going to be unborn because you do something stupid. You have eternal security. That's a fact. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. 
He said, I give unto them eternal life, and they will never perish, and neither shall any man ever pluck them out of my Father's hand. My Father which gave them to me is, excuse me, greater than all, and no man can take them out of my Father's hand. So here you are in the hand of God, and no one is going to take you away from the hand of God. And you say, well, I'm going to pry the fingers open and I'm going to crawl out myself. Well, now you can think that if you want to. But listen, once the righteousness of Christ is accredited to your account, once your name is established in the Lamb's book of life, God's not going to go down there and blot it out and erase it because you did something stupid. That's why we have discipline. That's why we have discipline. Those whom God loves. He disciplines, Hebrews twelve six. This is part of the Christian life we don't like to talk about. But the discipline of God is never, ever fun. This means that sometimes because of our insubordination, because of our failure to control the sin nature, because we constantly grieve and quench the Holy Spirit, because we don't learn the plan of God and we try to do it our own way, we get taken to the woodshed. This is exactly what our earthly father would do as well. And what is it that God's trying to break? Or what is it that your earthly father tries to break? What your earthly father tries to do when he disciplines you is to teach respect for authority. To teach you to to subdue your arrogance. It's arrogance that causes you to reject the authority of your parents. When your parents tell you do this or do that and you don't do it, that's an arrogance. I am not going to do that. I'm not wanting to do that. I don't want to do that. That's the same thing with God. When God takes us to the woodshed to discipline us, it's to break our arrogance and to bring us to the place of genuine humility in our life where we respect the authority of God, where we understand he is our heavenly father and he doesn't have any bad plans for us. He loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us, to set us free. And he loves us even more now that we're members of the royal family of God through faith alone in Christ alone. Now we have the righteousness of Christ. It's been imputed to us. And here we are now. He's loving us with a personal love. We're family members, not impersonal like he might love the unbeliever, but with a personal love. We're family members. And he's going to take us to the woodshed. And so may I suggest to you that you take a look into your life and see what's going wrong. Has everything been going wrong for the last year? Has it been like you've been beating your head against a wall and every time you hit it, you get a bloody nose and you get up and you get bloodied up again? Nothing goes right. Nothing works. Is it God putting discipline in your life? Is God trying to get your attention? Is he taking you to the woodshed? There are three stages in this discipline. There's warning discipline, intense discipline, and even dying discipline. Warning discipline, intense discipline, and dying discipline. Obviously, you're not in the dying discipline stage or you wouldn't be listening. But it is possible that you're under intense discipline or even warning discipline. This is critical that you come to understand this. 
because the success of your Christian life depends on you understanding how God operates. Those whom he loves, he chastens, and sometimes he even scourges us with a whip. There's a lot more to be said about this. You'll come back next week. We'll get into the discipline of God. Until then, this is Rick Hughes saying thank you for listening to The Floodline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054. Or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.